Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Hello, insurgents. Welcome to another edition of the podcast. We're glad you're here. I have Nikki V with me once again. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Frankie V. I want you to know what a sacrifice it is for me to be sitting here conversing with somebody wearing a New York Yankees baseball cap being a boy from Philadelphia. Oh, I wear it proudly, my friend. I wear it proudly. Uh, Go Phillies. Oh, <laughs> uh, we won a lot more World Series. Anyway, <laughs> so let's talk about practical lessons in kingdom living. And this is just going to be a running riff on different lessons that I have learned in my own personal life on what it means to live in the already but not yet kingdom of God. Well, Nikki, you'll do the same, and we'll just have an improv conversation. All of these conversations are improv, but this one in particular, I think, will be especially so. We'll do a lot of riffing here, because we have not even talked about what topics we're going to cover in this particular episode, and it may expand into several parts. So are you ready to roll on this? Let's do it. Contentment. That's a big one, and I am still learning what it means to be content under every and all circumstances. So I want to start by reading some passages of Scripture and give a few observations. John the Baptist, in Luke 3.14, is talking to soldiers. And of course, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's the first one in the New Testament to do so. And the soldiers respond and they say, what shall we do? And John's response is, don't extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. That's interesting, isn't it, in the day in which we live where people are not content with their wages? How does that square with all of the complaining and the griping that we have in our country, the United States, over wages? I don't even want to go there, but I'm just saying. <laughs> that, making, that sounds like wisdom. <laughs> I just want to make a comment that, according to John the Baptist, he told the Roman soldiers, be content with your wages. Then in 2 Corinthians 12.10, For the sake of Christ, Paul speaking, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And of course, in the context, Paul's talking about the thorn in the flesh, which I have spoken about in an article entitled Rethinking Paul's Thorn in the Flesh, which you can find in my blog, frankviola.org if you're interested. It's not the typical view that we hear from most commentators. Nevertheless, in that context, Paul was basically saying, I am content with this thorn, even though I hate it. I don't like it. It's giving me grief. God has used it to weaken me, to break me, so that I am strong in Christ, weak in myself. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he, meaning God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Actually, he's referring to Jesus. That was a quote from Jesus. Be content with what you have because 
he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then we have Philippians 4. I find this passage really intriguing, Nick, because Paul uses the word learned. It's as if he had trained to learn how to be content in every circumstance. This is what he says. Philippians 4.10, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I'm going to read that again. Yeah. That's such an incredible yeah, statement. Yeah. Yeah. I have learned, past tense, the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him, meaning Christ, who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In the context of being in any and every circumstance, Paul was chained to a Roman guard and he was on house arrest when he wrote these words. I am content. I have learned to be content in every situation. Yeah, so that last passage that you just read, I find both encouraging and challenging. Yeah. And here's why. If Paul learned to be content, then that's encouraging because that means that that's something that the Lord can teach us. That's a place he can bring us to. That also means at the same time that I can't hide behind my dispositions of maybe being a malcontent <laughs> and saying, well, that's just the way I am mm -hmm. um, because Paul clearly learned to become content yes. in a variety of circumstances. So, uh, and I just also would like to make clear that I'm in uh, in the school of contentment. I'm in kindergarten. Here, here. So, um, but that's encouraging that that God can bring us to a place where we're learning, and we can yes. say we've learned to become content. Mm -hmm. I think also when we hear that word contentment. There's a sense of that you're you're satisfied with whatever the situation is. You you can figure out a way to accept it or be yielded to it. I think when I think of the word contentment, the word yield mm. comes to my mind immediately. That because because contentment seems to be linked with in the passages that you just read, either material resources of one sort or another, or just basically circumstances in general. Um, there's a need for accepting what those circumstances are as being ultimately ordained by the will in the hand or the permission of the Lord. And that's really what you're yielding to in the end. It's not so much the circumstances themselves as the source or the origin of those circumstances being God himself. Mm -hmm. And when you get to that point of being able to see behind the physical aspect of your circumstances seeing the Lord in charge and trusting the Lord in charge of whatever circumstances you find yourself and then contentment becomes possible. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, again, 
to note that Paul was on house arrest in, in a Roman prison, there were nights that were freezing cold. Sunlight rarely came through the prison cells. So he didn't know if it was night or day, presumably. And I'm sure it had cockroaches, human feces, flies, and the stench was probably unbearable. And yet he learned to find God, find Christ in that circumstance, knowing that Jesus had not forsaken him, but he was in fact with Paul. And to be able to find contentment in that, in such horrible circumstances, is really an incredible thing. And it gives us hope that whatever circumstance we're in, whatever difficulty we're in, it for most of us it doesn't compare to what Paul went through. And yet, he was content. Uh, he said this in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 8, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Your basic needs and the Lord. <laughs> I want to read this fourth stanza from A Mighty Fortress is Our God by Luther. And this is the actual version of it. For some reason, people afterwards have distilled it and diluted it to make it shorter, but it takes away the power. Here's the original version. It says, God's word forever shall abide, no thanks to foes who fear it. For God himself fights by our side with weapons of the Spirit. Now here's the pertinent statement. Were they to take our house, our goods, our honor, which is a reputation, our child or spouse? So just think about that. Your house is taken from you. Your possessions are taken from you. I don't know what your greatest possessions are, Nikki, but mine are my books. They would <laughs> definitely be in my top three also. <laughs> so they take away your goods, your prized possessions, your reputation, your child or children, and even your spouse. Though life be wrenched away, they cannot win the day. The kingdom's ours forever. The kingdom is ours forever. Therefore, we will be content. And what's the kingdom? The kingdom is Christ and his body. It's incarnated in Jesus, and it's that alternative civilization that's under his kingship. And brother, as long as we have that, we can learn to be content in every circumstance. We can learn yes. to be content in every circumstance. Amen. Let me throw in one distinction or clarification here. There is a divine discontentedness that is absolutely good and positive that believers may be experiencing. And I, and I think it's important to make the distinction that we're not speaking about that. That's right. Um, those scriptures that you've read so far really are dealing almost with a physical level, mm -hmm. uh, either our circumstances or, our, again, our resources, our physical material resources. Um, many of us have arrived at our current place in life and in our spiritual journey precisely because of discontent, a discontentment with the existing status quo and, and that sense within that there's something more, there's something fuller, there's something greater concerning Jesus Christ and his church and his kingdom. And so in that regard, 
a lack of contentment yes. is actually a good thing because it, it is leading us or driving us to a place of finding that divine contentedness, spiritually speaking. So there, there are times when being discontent is actually appropriate and actually of God. Yeah, absolutely. And this also applies to areas in our lives that may not be yielded to the Lord, that we haven't surrendered. And again, the heart can be so dark where a person will hear a message like this or a message on grace and then misinterpret it or misapply it to say, well, you guys said on the Insurgents podcast to be content in all circumstances, so I'm going to tolerate this sin that's in my life that I can't seem to overcome, I'm going to be content with it, <laughs> which is a perversion of Wrong. what we're talking about. Wrong. <laughs> fail. Epic fail. So I'm glad you pointed that out because there is, in fact, a divine discontentment as it relates to things that are contrary to God's kingdom and the vision of his eternal purpose. But when it comes to living life and circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in, the gold hit, the mark to hit, is what Paul said he had learned, and that is to be content in all circumstances, because at the end of the day, we have the Lord. And sometimes God will strip us of everything except Christ. And that's where we find out who we really are. And that's where we find out where our faith really is in. And so many believers that I've observed over the years have fallen away from Jesus because they didn't get what they wanted. He didn't meet their expectations or their desires. And so they simply came to the conclusion, this isn't worth it. This isn't right. working. And you think of a guy like John the Baptist, who his whole life was given to the will of God, even to the point of foregoing all of the natural comforts and pleasures that most of us have. A clothing that's a cut above camel's hair. I'm always hung up on the locust diet. Yeah. <laughs> the locust diet. Living in the wilderness. That might be the next diet fad. Since he was a young man. I mean, when we talk about counting the cost, and we talk about forsaking all, well, John the Baptist trumps all of us by spades. And yet... At the end of the day, what he lived for, what he sacrificed for, was challenged because he was confused and even offended, it seems. And uh, Jesus didn't even go visit him. He said, blessed is he, blessed is she who's not offended in me. So if you're following Jesus for what you can get in this life, you are on the wrong path, my friends. Yes. You'll be disappointed. <laughs> yes, and, and divine contentment will elude you all the days of your life if that is your pursuit and your reason for following Jesus Christ. So I guess that's lesson one. I don't think I'm going to number these because I'll forget the count. But contentment is available in the kingdom of God. It is something we can learn. It is something we can be trained into. Now, I want to talk about a related topic, and that is this matter of surrender. There's someone whose name is Sonia Riccati, if I pronounced it right. They may not be a believer. I don't know. But Paul quoted people who were not believers, so I'm in good standing here to do this. But she says, surrender to what is, let go of what was, 
have faith in what will be. There is something called the surrender prayer, and I can't remember the person who wrote it, but I find it fascinating, and I want to read it because it's something that I have learned has a lot of spiritual weight to it when it comes to this matter of living in the kingdom of God, because most of our issues and our problems and our discontentment comes because we're holding on to something that we want to see come to pass in our life, and when it doesn't, or it hasn't, we're thrown into this state of discontentment. It affects our joy. It affects our peace. And so consequently, let me read to you this surrender prayer. I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for my healing. I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure. I let go of my desire for survival and security. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. Hmm. Now, I find that fascinating, and I think I would take issue with a few things, like my desire to change myself, I would take issue with that. But I think the point is, is that we realize we can't change ourselves in ourselves, right? So it's not in our power to do that alone. But this issue of letting go of our desire for affection, approval, validation, pleasure, survival, security, in particular to changing people. And one of the things that you said in a previous podcast, when you used the illustration of golf, you said you learned not to press. Right. I have learned that in the process of letting go, which the Lord really wants us to do in all areas of our life, the surrender process, the surrender posture, to look at everything, our situations, our possessions, and even our relationships with an open hand. And brother, not to press when we see that a situation or a person even that we love dearly needs to change in an area or should change in an area in conformity to God's will. Let's say someone's not saved or let's say someone's backslidden or let's say someone is saying no to the Lord. It's so vital that we surrender and we let go and we don't press. We let God do the pressing. Hmm. And that's something that marks a person who's living in the kingdom of God. They have yielded the power to control into the hands of God himself. Let him do the pushing. Let him do the pressing. Let him be the one putting the pressure on an individual, not us. And that's very difficult for a person who has been gifted by God to lead, to solve problems, to fix things. I mean, it is the cross in a very real and powerful way. It is the way of God. It is the way of Christ. When we take control, we often hinder God from moving into the situation. That's one of the biggest lessons I've learned, brother. This is a word to all people who are in ministry. One of your greatest temptations is going to be for you to put your hands on everything, to make it yield and bend to what you believe God's will to be. And you may be right about what God's will is. Mm -hmm. What you're wrong about is you're trying to make it happen. You're trying to force it into existence. You're trying to manipulate and calculate and engineer 
and force an outcome when the Lord is asking you to step back and put the outcome in his hands and have him do the engineering and the calculating and the forcing <laughs> and the pressuring because he knows what he's doing far better than you. The other thing about this piece here that we're talking about is in that very surrender and in that very act of letting go, God is doing something inside of you that's tremendous. Yes. To transform you into the very disposition of Jesus that we talked about in a previous podcast. Calm, confident, clear, contented, controlled. John Nelson Darby, I don't, I don't know if you'll get this quote right off the bat here, but I remember a quote from John Nelson Darby saying, it takes God's power to be little. And my interpretation of that quote is that sometimes one of the greatest hindrances we can have are all those things you just listed about being gifted or being called or being talented or being resourceful or being clever or, you know, so many things. And sometimes we have to stand in a situation and look and we look at all these tools that we have at our disposal some of them even god-given tools mm. and we have to say no to using any of them and that that to me is then laying hold of god in a way that we now have god's power to remain little to stay out of the way and let god do his thing because the way often matters even more than the result. Yeah, and just to clarify, I don't think the quote is, we need God's power to belittle, meaning belittle people, <laughs> make them feel small. Not to belittle others, no. <laughs> but to be little, two words, <laughs> be little, <laughs> be small. And another thing I learned is this matter of intimacy. One of the things that I have been seeking in this season is to be more intimate with the Lord. And one of the lessons in that pursuit is that intimacy with Christ is, in fact, available to every believer. We have the passage in Psalm 73, 28, For me it is good to be near God. James 4, 8, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. Being intimate with someone is really knowing them and them knowing you. The principle I learned is that one of the things that causes us to be intimate with another person is found in this word trust. Trust is at the heart of intimacy. The more we trust someone, the more intimate we can become with them. And so I think of the passage in Hebrews eleven six, where it says that whosoever draws near to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Intimacy, I believe, is found in the area in which we are being pressed currently to trust God the most. What you and I must trust God for the most is the means by which he uses to draw us closer to him. And so in his sovereignty and providence, he is going to arrange our circumstances to test our faith. And this is talked about in James chapter 1 and 1 Peter chapter 1. And one of the things that those passages teach us when you read them carefully is that enduring a trial 
waiting on the Lord, which we talked about in another podcast episode, is designed to draw us closer to the Lord to receive his power to endure. And that produces joy and peace in the midst of the tribulation. But the point being is intimacy with the Lord occurs in the places where we have to trust him the most. And this is a great lesson that I'm learning. I thought I was beyond all this. The things I'm sharing are things I've learned over the last six months. And um, I, I just, it's really humbling to know that I've been following the Lord since I was 16 years old. Well, now at the ripe old age of 35, I thought I was far, far, <laughs> far, far beyond where I am now. I see lying still up there. <laughs> <laughs> That's another area I'm working on. All that to say that surrendering to God's way, surrendering to God's presence in our daily life, letting go, helps dismantle the contrary mental and emotional habits where we respond to our circumstances in unhealthy ways and ungodly ways. This gets back to that surrender prayer. So much of our life is fighting against our circumstances when we don't believe they're aligned with God's will. Uh, this leads to blame shifting. We want to blame someone. It leads to grief. It even leads to anger and resentment. And yet, all of those circumstances are designed by God to be our greatest teacher. So to welcome pain and to let go of the, the oppositional energy actually frees us from the situation and from those negative feelings. It's our resistance to things that are, that we're not contented with, that actually causes our unhappiness and lack of joy. The yes. fact that we're resisting them instead of accepting them, putting them in God's hands and letting go. Yeah, and this, you know, we're talking about trials and tribulations and circumstances and difficult situations. And again, there's always two things at work here. There is the result that we are highly interested in and highly invested in. And then there is the working of getting from point A to point B. And that's the part that God is most interested in. Mm. is that in-between period. And sometimes the wrestling match that we're involved in with the Lord is that we are focused on the result when the Lord wants us to be centered elsewhere with what's happening in the in-between period. Because that's really where he's getting his work done. I mean, have you ever wondered why the Lord's capable of doing anything? So when a problem arises or difficulties arise... Why doesn't he just snap his fingers and get to the result? That's what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> Tell me the answer. Well, I'll give you an answer as somebody who's in uh, kindergarten in the school of Christ. Um, so if he does that, then there's literally no internal change. That's and right. we see this repeatedly right. in the Gospels, right? Because Bingo. really in the Gospels, Jesus is in fact doing that. We are seeing many, many times repeatedly the instantaneous response of God to lots of dire circumstances. Somebody's demon-possessed. Somebody has an issue of blood. Somebody, uh, somebody's child just died. 
and the Lord, there, there's no, in any of the, in most of the gospel stories, there's no divine parenthesis time. There is an instant response from the Lord Jesus to those needs. And so it's easy to come away with a cursory reading of, of the gospels thinking that a problem arises, you call out, and God answers and solves your problem. But the incredible very rarely talked about result of all of that was he didn't get a lot of devoted followers from the people that were instantaneously uh, got got the results they were after. So we see his most devoted people sitting in prison cells for a while. There are long stretches of time that are elapsing between the crisis moment and the solution of that. That's right. Why is that? It almost looks like the more intimate you are with the Lord, the longer those interim periods can get sometimes. And and there is some accuracy to a thought like that. So I'm I'm actually thinking of a of a verse here in Psalm one oh three where he says this. It says he made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. And that's an arresting passage for me, and I think it's very much connected with what we're talking about, because in one of those, and I'm going to start with the second part of that verse, he made his deeds known to the people of Israel. That is a far less intimate statement. Um, That's the results. Yes. The deeds that Israel were knowing was a final outcome. But with Moses, he made known his ways, and that's that interim period. Mm. So that's much more personal, much more intimate. Moses is learning the ways of God. And because we are now all the sons and daughters of God, we're not just called to deal with the outcomes, the desired outcomes we want. The Father is also trying to instruct us in his ways. And his ways are who he is. So really what he's trying to do is he's revealing his personality to us, yes. his, his who he is. So he wants us to know him. He mm-hmm. wants us to not just be in possession of his results. He wants us to be in possession of his mind. Yes. He wants us to have the mind of Christ, mm-hmm. um, not just the outcomes. And most of us are in a rush to get to the results and the outcomes of God and kind of just skip over the whole learning the ways of God. The thought that came to me as you were sharing, actually two. One is when it comes to the working of the Lord in your situation, whatever it is, when it comes to transformation, which is a big, big topic in the New Testament, the journey is the destination. The journey is the destination. We look at the destination. God's looking at the journey. And the second thought that's related to that is the Lord is doing something far greater than our circumstance or our situation. He's doing something far greater than fixing it. He's doing something in you through the process. There's a quote by T. Austin Sparks that I want to read that was sent to me. I regard T. Austin Sparks to be my main mentor, a distant one, of course, because I never met him in person. But 
Someone once wisely said that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And not only do I believe that that is an incredible piece of wisdom because it causes us to reflect on who we choose to be in our lives, but all of those five people don't have to be alive. He's someone who I not only read regularly and have done so for many, many years, but I've read his biographies, all the ones that are out there that are available that I've come across. I've talked to people who knew him, pelted them with questions. So I feel like I know the guy when he was living. And here's a comment that he made. I know it is the experience of many of the most used and blessed servants of God that they are going through a terrible time. Spiritually, they have come to the place where if the Lord, the Lord does not really stand by and take over and see them through, it is an end even of their long spiritual experience. All the past will not stand unless the Lord comes in in a new way. Is not that true with many? Yes, that is what he is doing. He is working on this very ground of the two humanities, one being that which we are by nature, the other that which we are in Christ. And that's the crux of it. He is seeking to break who we are by nature, especially if we're leaders who are fix-it, problem solvers, people who control situations, even for God's will, even for the right reasons and the right motivations, but we're doing it. And then he says, so what we are to be occupied with at this time is first of all to behold the man, man in caps, to behold the man. In other words, get your eyes off of yourself and your situation and the result and the outcome and the solution and put them squarely on the Lord Jesus Christ and let him take your hands off and let him do his thing. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. And it reminds me of a quote by Corey Ten Boon, mm. one of my favorite. Yeah. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. That's good, Corey. Thank you, Corey. He has lots of lots of good ones. Yeah, um, God's powerful moving tends to occur in situations of extenuating need. And sometimes God needs to be the creator of the extenuating need, or at least the permission giver of extenuating need coming into our lives. So if you are dead set against experiencing extenuating need, it's unlikely that you're going to experience an exceptional provision or exceptional powerful move of God in your life. If, If you can get by without an active savior and deliverer like the one Frank was just reading about from the Sparks quote, if you can get by without him in your life, then you will. If you can manage it, he's not going to interfere with your exceptional abilities. Yes. And that's a that's a scary thought to think that you, you have that within your power to decide whether you're going to sit tight and let God do his thing. My wife and I have some very dear friends who um, did something just incredibly beautiful. Um, they live, or maybe I should more accurately say they lived 
here in the States. Um, and the Lord began a little bit of a work in the country of Guatemala through them. So suddenly their, their time shifted a bit from the States here and they were kind of frequently making trips into Guatemala and doing uh, some things that the Lord had led them into down there. And along the way, uh, this couple wanted a child, had been praying for a child, didn't have a child, and then felt like they got a word from the Lord that they were going to have a child and even were, were given a name to give the child. And so they began praying for this child. And during one of their trips into Guatemala, they met a woman who became a believer, who then later on was subsequently raped and became pregnant. And this woman already had five of her own children. And my friends decided they were going to adopt mm. this pregnant woman's child because she did not want to abort the baby. And so they wound up taking this child after she was born. And she was a she, and the name they had gotten from the Lord was was a girl's name. And this was the provision of the Lord for this mm. couple to have a baby in their life through very unusual and, and really tragic means and something beautiful was coming out of something horrible. So they went uh, and made another trip to Guatemala and, um, and they got there and papers and documents and things were signed so that they got legal custody of the baby and then they were going to do a full adoption when they got back to the States. Only when they got there they were unable to get the baby a passport to the States. As we are doing this podcast, they are still in Guatemala. Mm. They have been there for two years mm. now, mm. unable to leave with the child. They could leave any day they want and come back to the States, but mm. not with the baby. But that child is as much their own child as if they had biologically given birth to that child, and they are not leaving Guatemala without that baby. So they have now spent the first two years of their life raising that child in Guatemala. And it looks like something is about to finally break through. But my point is this. Why? Why have they been in Guatemala for two years? The Lord is capable of snapping his finger or uttering one word and unlocking all those doors for them to get back to the States where their home is mm. with that child. Right. And I have had the privilege of walking this whole situation out with them in some intimacy and from where i'm sitting i'm not the one going through it but from where i'm sitting i see the lord making known to them his ways rather than just his deeds and i right. believe they are going to know his incredible deed yes. in the end because i'm certain they're going to get back to the states with that child and yes. and continue their their life here but two years and the other thing i can tell you is i have watched the lord work some amazing aspects of himself and a knowledge of him into both of their lives because they have been stranded in a third world nation now for two years mm. so that's a that's an example of extenuating need and and requiring something that is so far outside of human abilities yeah absolutely that's a great story 
and I have some things to say about the delay, which we'll do in the next episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.